Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji, Nice and, and the Rat Thing. This is the recap of the Vuelta Espana Stage 14, which I've got to be honest, it was turning into an absolute snooze fest until like all chaos broke loose. We had drama, ups and downs. I experienced a wide range of emotions during this stage. This show recap is supported by our show partner, Cole, who produced performance cycling apparel. If you want to get yourself a Pretty steep discount on Lacole items at the moment. They have a sale on, and we have our LR Vuelta 20, that's all caps LR Vuelta 20 discount code, which applies in addition to already discounted items at www.lacole.cc. Thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. The actual profile 166Ks long. We have a, a wall in the middle, 3Ks 13%, then a highway descent rolling nothingness. Uh, before the mountaintop finish, 14.5Ks at 6.3%, pretty regular and a fast section at the top. So you have to be pretty ambitious to take it on during the middle of the stage. But a break formed, as we expected, Manji, with DSM, but not the Bahrain guys I expected. Yeah, certainly. And uh, it was a break where with lots of riders that want to aim for stage wins, we had two riders from Ajudezer, Sean Poussin, Podom. We have Jay Vine in the breakaway. Trotnik, one rider for Bahrain in the breakaway. Then Navarro, Danny Navarro. Is that the Danny Navarro that we know? Because yeah, he writes. Yeah, really? Yeah. Does he write I for see. Burgos now? The guy really that won the Vuelta stage and yeah. I think ahead of uh, Moreno. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's wow. the one. Okay. He's like 38. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Baguez in the breakaway as well. We had Herada in the breakaway. Kukulera, Asparin, Demarc, which is kind of surprising. Jeanette, Spitcock, Van Marke, Holmes, Zeitz, Barde. Sunderland and Gibbons. So a breakaway with people that should on paper be able to win from breakaways. The likes of a Sean Poussin, uh, a Bardet. We were thinking about a Vine as well in our past few uh, episodes because uh, Vine hype is real since uh, he arrived here and he gained plus 50 watts because yep. he did an interview on LSP. <laughs> it's a lot. And uh, this breakaway gained immediately like six, seven minutes, went up to like 10 minutes, 14 minutes. So Yumbo didn't care at all because all these people were like 40 minutes behind in GC. So I don't think they were going to give it 40 minutes, though. That's a bit risky. <laughs> Would they go OTL? Like, right? <laughs> Mate, OTL's 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what no, that's probably why DeMar got in this break. He's yep. probably thinking, if I stay in GC, they give them 15 minutes and then I get dropped by 35 minutes. It's I'm clever. now at OTL risk, I guess is why. And he climbed really well, I know, DeMar today. He stayed with them over that middle climb. But that middle climb, Benji, well, first of all, did did uh, DSM have multiple teammates with Bardet? Or was he just, just he the only just DSM Bardet guy? This morning, this time around. That's unusual. I mean, Matthew Holmes, he's not looked as good this year, but he you know, he has a bit of form as well. He had terrible luck today. Uh, yeah, not many teams with multiple t- riders with teammates in that group, apart from Azure with Champerson and Prudhomme. But the middle climb, Benji, it went whatever the opposite is of it kicked off, it did not kick off on that middle climb for neither the break nor the GC group. And why is that? Well, in the breakaway, only one rider is really looking for KOM points. So it's not like another rider has to kick it off two kilometers from the top. It's a 2.8 kilometer climb at serious gradient. So technically, uh, there's no need for Bardet to launch it at two kilometers from that finish line because he's likely the only candidate who will go for it. So roughly with 500 meters to go, he decides to put in a bit of a punch to have at least like 10 meters on people so he can react if somebody else tries to go over him. But this was not as it as a tempo where he attacks or something. This was just him trying to get those K1 points and he did. And 
He was now leading uh, with nine points over Caruso after this climb. So that's pretty good for Bade, considering Caruso was not in the breakaway as he uh, is also kind of chained to uh, Haig, although I do think he would get a leash off if he uh, is in the breakaway or got in the breakaway today, I'd expect. But nonetheless, after that climb, we uh, had the peloton going over it 14 minutes later. So everybody <laughs> that was on that climb waiting had to wait. 14 minutes could go for a bit of a break and then come back and uh, and they'd have the peloton on it. But it seemed like Yumbo was was trying to, uh, first of all, come to the front before the climb. And directly when the climb started, just take the entire whiff of the road and basically make sure that nobody can really pass them on the climb. So, yeah, we don't like that strategy. I don't like it, at least. I don't <laughs> think you like it either. But, no. yeah, if, if all the riders agree with it, I guess, yeah. Well... I don't think all riders agree because Madrazo a few days ago was was pretty angry when uh, he was being shouted at by some woman if he tried to attack in the peloton. I mean, it's pretty funny that Roglic says no risk, no glory, then produces a, a T-shirt with that slogan on it in his merch shop. And then the next day he says, Nathan, please, can you block the whole road so no one attacks me halfway <laughs> through the middle of the stage? <laughs> please, I don't want anyone to attack me, even though Movistar didn't even have Valverde do anything here. So, yeah, nothing happened on that climb. This always happens when they have these walls in the middle. It's like, okay, you could get make a big effort and get a gap, but if you're the best climbers in the break, why would you do that when you have 40 kilometers of rolling terrain before the mountaintop finish when you can just burn? Seb Van Mark, why do you want to drop him? He's not going to beat you in the finish, but he can help you before the final climb. So why you want to? what's the point of dropping him? Peloton's not going to catch you. GC-wise, Movistar have got Verona, Oliveira, Rojas, you know, in varying degrees of tiredness. No Valverde to really put the pace on this climb. Bahrain don't want it to be quick for Haig because... He's a bigger guy for a GC contender, so why would they want to increase the pace? And if you do get a gap, you're going to have to have the team to then control it in the valley afterwards for over an hour. So it's a huge investment for maybe nothing. So that's why we saw what we saw, uh, even regardless of Yumbo blocking Benji. Yes, certainly. Uh, after that, we did have some uh, some stuff happening in the break. Unfortunately, we had Jay Vine who crashed while taking a beat on from his car. And it's like, at first, I wasn't sure. Was it the car that made... The wrong move or or was it the rider that made the wrong move because they seemed to go into each other and luckily he didn't land under the car but he kept uh laying on the ground for quite a bit but eventually uh seemed to have gotten back up what do you think that the cause was for the crash a bit of both so what ha- it's a very very tricky spot to take a bit on it's a very fast ascent they're rounding a left hand bend the car takes the bend properly jay is looking at the car as the bend commences and goes straight a bit through the bend and then he, so he's coming to meet the car. He then is going to hand a bit on off. He gets he's then got one hand off the bar off the bars and then touches the side of the car and can't react and doesn't doesn't let go and hits the ground really, really hard at speed. Luckily he doesn't get run over by the wheels of the car nor the motorbike that was just behind him. Um, so that was very lucky. But still he's hit the ground at 65 70 plus i saw he didn't hit his head too badly either and also his shoulder and he slid a long way so i was like obviously i know him personally so it's not not great um to see that he was sitting there he looked he looked bad like he looked physically like he was in a lot of pain you could see him stretching his leg out but he wasn't clutching his shoulder too much and then the cameras cut away and i was like he's gonna be lucky not to dnf lucky not to dnf and most likely he's done something you know 
cracked his knee or something like that, Benji, but you were listening on Radio Tour or Sportsa about what was happening with him. Well, I had someone say to me down on Sportsa, they said that he was back on the bike and then other people confirmed that. So I was I was first checking whether I was through because I don't want to s- spread that news if it's not all right and perhaps have a, a Vine family member hear wrong news from me. But um, next to that, we also uh, saw it on Ray's radio. It popped up there and it meant that he was back on the bike. And obviously being back on the bike says nothing. It, like the, the best thing it says is that he's not off to the hospital or anything. So that's a big win. But when it comes to the race situation, it doesn't say anything about oh, he's back on the bike and he's dropping back to the peloton or he's back in the bike and still trying to get back. So we didn't know. But in the meanwhile, we had the breakaway just trying to fall apart a bit because we had a move that included uh, Prodom, not Christian Prodom. It's not the, uh, the Tour de France race director. It was uh, Nicolas Prodom. Probably not even uh, actually it's, connected. It's spelled differently. Other. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we had uh, Dani Navarro, trying to follow together with Sepp von Marke, and those three riders were diving into the descent until at the point we had Prodom having a bit of a gap on von Marke, who, who took the the corner, a very shady corner, a bit wide, but it seemed like Danny Navarro just went straight through the corner ahead of him and cut him off, basically a tackle, a red card yeah. tackle or something. <laughs> it was super weird, but fortunately, they seemed to be relatively okay at the side of the road. I don't know about Sepp von Marke, though. He's he stood up after a bit, so I see that as at least one bit of a pro on his condition. So let's hope he was able to continue and uh, finish today's stage. I'm uh, just not certain about it. Danny Navarro uh, took too long to stand up as well, and eventually those two were basically out of contention for the race. But uh, Rodon was off, and he had a gap on on the group behind that kept on growing and kept on growing to at least like a minute at a certain point. And this was still with like 20, 25k to go, so... Still had like nine kilometers to fix that, the group behind. And the tempo there was not insane, but once the road goes up and Prodom starts to get very lonely at the front and has to uh, do all the effort himself, then it's going to become more troublesome for him to stay away. And it didn't actually take that long until the start of the uh, climb itself that he was caught by people trying to attack where Andre Zeiss was trying to bridge across to him, I should say, as well. We might have missed Matthew Holmes. Poor guy had like two punctures today. One was when he was in a move with Brodon ahead. And the craziest part of this stage was when we were were thinking, okay, maybe the radio's got it wrong. Maybe Vine's got on the bike and then he's injured and he's like, I can't do this anymore. We see Undertaker, GIF, call an ambulance, but not for me, Jay Vine, with his bibs and everything ripped up, he is back in the group with Roman Bardet plugging away. And I was just, <laughs> Twitter goes absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> promptly, the Flam Rouge is like, if he doesn't get the competitivity prize, do away with the prize. They announced three minutes later that Danny Navarro got the competitivity prize. His odds have gone to like 300 to 1. It's back down to 9 to 1. Bookies are in shambles. His wife, Bree, is on Twitter being like, holy shit. It was crazy to see. Uh, I was like, if he wins this stage, or even comes top three, it'd be insane. Because if you've seen the crash, it's a it's a pretty hard crash. And Bardet wasn't underestimating him, Benji. I think Bardet is acutely aware because they raced in Burgos together two weeks ago that he's not someone to take too lightly. And I think those two were marking each other a fair bit. Uh, what, what were you seeing from that dynamic in the group behind Prudhomme? Because there was a lot of finessing and tactics 
whilst Prudhomme dangled with 50 seconds. Yeah, there was an, a lot of looking at each other and Zeitz was just hanging in between trying to crawl back towards Prudhomme at the front and it seemed like everybody kind of waited until Bardet made a move. And Vine obviously tried to get a, a few people to tally along and try and relay a bit, but yeah, they're not really going to do that too much. We've got Herada, a rider that likes to sit in wheels and likes to see other people serve their energy out and then try and attack over the top of them. So I don't expect too much from him in that chase. And that was obvious because he just kept on sitting on. And yeah, Pitcock was done with it. Pitcock was so done with it that when uh, when the following car of Zeitz passed the right side of the group, Pitcock just attacked in the, in the draft of the car and had a bit of a gap on that chasing group for a bit. And that slowly but surely kicked off the attacks in that in that group of Bardet with eventually Bardet's attack, arguably the, the craziest attack of them all, because I swear I looked at the screen, he was in the group, and I went to get water from the kitchen. I go back to my TV, and Bardet is literally in the wheel of Zeitz and Prudhomme. <laughs> he bridged. We were thinking, oh, is Prudhomme going to do this? Are they messing around too much? And people were telling me, no, 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 relax. Like, they're finessing because this guy is cooked. Prudhomme had had the earpiece out. He's got Champersan at the back. I'm not sure if there was some inter dynamics between Ejiz and Citroen but Champazan was doing a good job blocking to be fair to him and yeah Bardet bridged that gap so quickly Vines lost his wheel so Vine bridges them back across with Herrada but Bardet doesn't sit with Zeitz he goes straight past them as well and keeps going his pace and then it was like 4k's to go 30 second gap Vine is working with Herrada mainly who, who did they those two worked actually pretty well together but but it was too strong at this point and kept building that gap out to 40 seconds, 45 seconds. Vine goes clear, Arada bridges back. Those two work together. But yeah, Roman Bardet, I think I really like him back as a stage hunter, Benji. It's not what he wanted at this Vuelta, but seeing him hunt stages, it's what I think he's excellent at. And maybe he's being paid you know, a lot more than just hunting stages, but still he won in convincing fashion on this mountaintop finish. His first... It's got to be his first, uh, I think, World Tour level win in a long time. Let me count. His first World Tour level win in over four years, Roman Bardet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. insane. But we've got to look at it from, from the image of the fact that he was chained as a GC rider, like you yeah, said. Yeah, that's what I mean. But yeah. the thing is, he's kind of like a Chicone GC rider, the kind of rider that doesn't have a time trial, so he can't really use that to gain much. So that's a big, big loss when you're a GC rider these days. You're basically just with such deficit that it's yeah. hard to even compete for the win if you don't have a time trial. And the problem there is that he still tried. And the the reason I think that they don't switch that easily is because both Ciccone and the Giro, Bardet last year in the Tour de France, were doing a really good Grand Tour until they actually had a crash. And when you crash out of trying to go for GC, I think it's different than when you get dropped. Because when you get dropped, you know you're not good enough. Yeah. You crash out, it's like, oh, there could have been so much more in this race if I just didn't have this crash happen to me. And that's why I think they try for that long to to go for it. But this time around, it was very early on that Bardet had his crash once again, uh, decapitating his GC. And to have a comeback like this already in a stage win, it's just great. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he tries again in a couple of days. Three wins for DSM at this year's Vuelta. They've gone, I mean... Today wasn't really like team tactics, but you know they've they've received a lot of criticism. They then had, I think, an Austrian training camp or something, altitude camp, uh, before the Vuelta, and everyone's now flying. Now, I think the reason why guys also stick with GC is Roman Bardet gets paid two million two million euro a year 
Clodgill Keep, Store is not on 2 million euro a year. And Store is equally capable, in my view, of hunting Grand Tour stages. But GC guys, even if they're, you know, perennial top fivers, or maybe not even that good, get paid a lot more. So that's why the incentive is there for Chicone to get a top seven here in GC, even for Coos as well. But I should round out the top 10. Harada beats Vine for the sprint to second. Those two, um, yeah, Harada second, Vine third on 44 seconds. Pidcock fourth on 112. Champoussin fifth on 114. Holmes, unlucky but better today. Sixth then Zeiss, Genietz, Nicola Prudhomme, Prudhomme. Uh, and Jan Tratnik. Tratnik, maybe, I don't know, maybe he could say I'm on the level of the Giro and it's, it's a better level here. I would say that Bade, Harada and Vine is, is better than uh, Lorenzo Fortunato, uh, in my view. But, yeah, a pretty exciting – oh, sorry, Benji. But um, the GC group, nothing really until Movistar came to the front. Not really – I don't know. They were just kind of steady pacing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was Movistar just steady pacing and Yumbo with a large amount of riders still in the peloton because at some point the stage wasn't hard and they were 14 minutes behind the, pel- the breakaway. So obviously they weren't losing too many riders. And if you start a climb with Van Hoydong still in the peloton, that says a lot about the tempo on the climb before. But um, nonetheless, Movistar indeed came to the fore and I don't know, I, w- I didn't know what I was expecting because I felt like it was going to just be the peloton rolling in. But then I saw in the breakaway that in the last kilometer and a half, there was this very steep section from roughly 1.5k to go to 500 to go. There was a one part of the road that actually seemed like gradients were higher than what I remembered on the profile. And I thought perhaps that is where they have something planned. And eventually we see the fact that Kreisweikel still is now pacing in the peloton again with Gus in the wheel. And we see that Lopez decides to attack over the top of them. And he goes for a bit of the ride. And at first, the reaction is, oh, God, they've still got domestiques. And that could not be a great moment to to go because this is a climb where on that moment, the gradient was still low enough for the draft to definitely matter. You think that the steeper section that came after was perhaps the reason that Lopez decided to do this as the draft there would be less? I don't really know. I think it's I think both teams did fine strategies like i think yumbo visma did perfect sky train where you use up your domestiques keep the gap stable then roglic will sprint across in the yep. last 700 meters perfect i think Movistar they invested virtually nothing in the stage and they saw an opportunity to try and take five seven seconds as well as you know protecting maybe lopez third against haig on gc because haig isn't going to chase lopez he's going to sit in roglic so i don't know i just think you don't want to go too early because then you risk lo- – like Ineos went too early. They did the opposite to Movistar on stage nine and cost Yates time in my view. Uh, and the problem just was, yeah, as you said, Benji, the timing and that flat section you could see from the side on the draft. They were going like 40 Ks an hour plus, Kreuzweig first, Kuh second. And, yeah, it just, it just didn't work out too well for, for Lopez. Benji, uh, I guess he still t- took four seconds uh, on a group of – Yep. Roglic, Mas, Bernal, and Hay. But what, what's the downside for them? There's no real downside for Movistar attacking there. Mas gets to sit in. Yeah, you're right. And perhaps they now know what Bahrain's plan is when an attack by Lopez comes because Bahrain was still sitting with three, four riders in the wheel of Diambo riders when the Lopez attack came. And they decided to not use those Bahrain riders to sure. chase back Lopez and put Yumbo in the effort of having to chase down 
Lopez right there, but not in a crazy fashion. And it seemed like Bahrain just didn't panic at all. And Haig just didn't care at all whether Lopez would be at the front because Haig's a pretty clever guy and would probably realize that he can't gain too much on a stage like this and that the coming stages might have bigger gaps and uh, every energy spent might be a expenditure. But I still don't think that Lopez spent too much energy on this personally. And this is also that typical Lopez attack. I swear, like, was it the Vuelta where Froome and Nibali were still fighting for top three positions and we had Lopez attacking on the last kilometer of of these climbs where it had a bit of a downwards angle and then went up again towards the finish line and he ended up winning two stages or something, Lopez, in one of the, those Veltas in such a fashion with these type of attacks and just reminded me of the old the old Lopez. He won Sierra Nevada against Zachary and Kelderman and Chavez and Froome, so, but he put a pretty solid gap into them. It was a sim- very similar looking stage to today, actually, uh, with a steep middle climb and a long climb. But yeah, I think... Bernal looked better, like, but again, they did the climb very, very slowly. This was certainly no Watts per kilo test today. I think concerning for Ineos is uh, Yates losing 16 seconds to Lopez on a climb where a draft was huge and they did slowly. Begun. <laughs> you reckon this is the, the capitulation? But I, I don't know. We can't really take a conclusion out of this 16 seconds, but I just see it in front of me that he now keeps on losing like 20 seconds, 30 seconds a minute towards the end of the Grand Tour. But hey, he can surprise me and he may because that would be uh, an extra contender for the future, you know? I feel sorry for GC Coos because he is, yeah, he's working selflessly as a teammate. It's obviously costing him time on GC. We forgot to mention Benji, the the funny, the funniest GC battle of the day was between Odd Christian Eiking and Guillaume Martin. <laughs> So we forgot about, I forgot about this completely. There was, because the GC, the big GC teams weren't actually trying anything for most of the climb, Kofidis came to the front, attacked into Marche, trying to gain time on Eiching so Guillaume Martin can go into the jersey because he's currently sitting second on GC. And then Louis Mankis marks them and Padun for some bizarre reason. <laughs> Just Padun's there. And then Eiching's in the second group with, Jumbo soft pacing, pretty much, but it didn't matter in the end. It all came back together. That was funny seeing. I love the the battle within a race within a race. And the other one was uh, Ciccone attacking, which Benji might have mentioned, and Brambilla before him. Brambilla with jersey open into a headwind. Um, yeah, just a lot of meme attacks today. It's particularly, you can see it when guys when the pace is slow. Mm-hmm. It's the same guys every time get bored or something. Benji or just itchy, and they're like, "I'm gonna just, I'm gonna try something for glory." Okay, but to finish off today, I do want to introduce a new thing for the rest of the Vuelta, whenever we feel like it. I can't promise this will be every day, but today it will. And uh, we do want to give out an NRCP competitivity prize because the Vuelta one is, is dog shit. <laughs> like, let's be real. If Danny Navarro wins today, then something's <laughs> wrong. And it's it's based on a subjective system online where people can vote, but it's only advertised on a, on a Spanish, new, uh, well, on the Spanish channel, RTVE, I think. And... Uh, as a consequence, obviously, you only have Spanish people voting and then you're going to have likely a Spanish winner. But uh, who's your take for today? I think it's a pretty obvious one for you. Uh, Vine today, I'm going with I'm going with Roglic on stage 10, even though he crashed. Still, it was very combative, just unnecessarily so. Yeah. Caught on stage 11. I don't think any of these people won it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we going back in time? <laughs> I'm just because I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure these are all wrong. Uh, who I was get that one as well on the stage that Vine attacked, right? On stage 12. That. Yeah, yeah. that should have been Vine. Stage 13 <laughs> yesterday should have been. Was there even a break? 
I don't, I don't remember. Know, probably Bernal because he <laughs> mixed it up. I give it to Bernal. So, yeah, we, we got our own rankings. But today, Vine, you went with Vine as well. It's hard when a guy... I'm not sure, actually. Like, <laughs> obviously, Vine is the is the name that I would put forward, but I feel bad for the Prodom guy as well because it's probably his best breakaway stage ever. And on another race, he would probably gain competitivity prize if it wasn't for Vine crashing. So I'd give it 70 to 80% for Vine and about 20 to 30 about Prodom. We've got a percentage system here. It's allowed to have multiple riders because the other system is fucked. God, he's a Clement Venturini, Venturini lookalike, um, <laughs> Nicola Prodom. Good-looking man. Anyway, he's he's got another year on his contract. He's young, Benji. He's got, he's got a future ahead of him. I think we forgot to announce Vine extended with Alpes and Phoenix. That was announced yesterday, which I presume the deal would have been done before his breakaway uh, attempt. So, yeah, good to see. He's got to be the most successful Swift Academy winner so far. But anyway, that's enough on that Have there stage. been so many? Uh, I can't even remember the names of the other guys. There's been like three, two or, three or four, I think. And the uh, the female one rides for Canyon Sram ride or something. I vaguely remember. Yeah, yeah, she, she actually did well, the Australian. But yeah, it's tough. It's tough for them. They get a one year deal. They get over there late, particularly if they're from Canada, Australia, America. And yeah, it's just tough to make a an impact in like six months. But anyway, tomorrow's stage two hundred k's from Naval Moral de la Mata to El Baraco. It looks like a big GC day, but steady climbs, unlike the Vuelta normally. 15Ks, 5%, 9Ks, 5%, 20Ks, 5.5%. Descent, short false light descent value in 8.6Ks at 4% for 6Ks. Run into the finish. I'm looking at the climbs and the gradients. The long ones are very, very consistent. I'm not seeing any black uh, sort of gradient markers on the Flamarouche, which indicates over 9 or 8%. So... Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow, Benji. Do you think it's much of the same as today? I feel like it might be similar. The thing is, like, if you put this kind of stage on a stage 20 in a Grand Tour, this usually just brings fireworks because you've got that typical stage 20 Giro d'Italia parkour where you have this larger climb and then a, a smaller climb just before the finish line. I absolutely love this parkour, but the problem is I don't think it's at the ideal point in the race. Then again, it's before rest day, so that might offer opportunities for GC riders to try something more than just sitting on but i don't know will they will they wait until lagos de covadonga and gamoniteru knowing that that is just basically the last climb that will happen in those stages or do you think that today they might risk it from all out because that seems to be one of the two stages that come that you can go from far together with stage 20 if i'm haig and i'm not content with the top five and i want to really risk it for the podium mm-hmm. i think tomorrow is the stage to try she don't made her should be in the break Yes, Maida, Caruso, Padun, all Tratnik is in the break today. Arashiro. Arashiro. Is he no. him today? <laughs> he's, he, he's such a good domestique. We joke, but he's actually a really good domestique. Yeah, at the bottom of the last climb, well, at least like with 7K to go. So halfway the last climb, he was still in the peloton and he crawled back to the back to get some water to, uh, when it was still allowed, probably just right in the moment that was still allowed. And he goes straight past, he, he snipes past the back of the peloton and... I swear, like the camera switches and he's at the front next to Haig, giving 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 him water, like underrated MVP of the day, Arashiro. <laughs> I think yeah, tomorrow's the time to try for for Haig. Maybe Roglic doesn't mark him because he's so far behind. You know, he's quite a bit behind Roglic. 
and then that puts Movistar in a difficult position where they probably do. But if you catch them by surprise, it's like, ah, now they're giving Roglic a free ride. He's got the teammates to do it. It's the climbs, the steady gradients that aren't over 8% where, you know, he's like 70 kilos. As I said with Vine the other day, tomorrow is better for him to try something to gain some time back. So, yeah, tomorrow. But maybe maybe he doesn't want to. I haven't, I haven't discussed it with him. So, But, yeah, re-break, Benji, I think. It looks like Stora. <laughs> I'd like Stora again tomorrow. Hmm. I kind of want to say someone like Kron, but these longer climbs, I'm not sure. Because, like, on paper, we had that Swiss stage where he was uh, I think being he's fine. deviated into by, by Rui Costa. That's the only thing I remember from that stage, to be honest. And then his dropping, which was surprising. But uh, Andreas Kron or, or Caruso again with a great solo. Louis Mankies. Uh, would be one to get in the break if he can. Yes. Maybe there's less leeway to get in the break anymore. Uh, Pidcock tried today. Fabio Aru doesn't look as good anymore. But, yeah, DSM should be all DSM again. Nick Schultz. I think Schultz is quite fast, so I think – but he's, like, not as good a climber, say, as Bardet, but the finish suits him more than Bardet, I think. So Schultz can win from a group, a small group. He's actually quite fast. I'd really like to see Schultz in the break tomorrow. The Question. bike exchange? Yes, Sorry. sir. Um, when it comes to Bora, we've seen that Groschartner is obviously going for GC, True. but are we expecting anything from Balzerans we have in this Vuelta? Because we haven't I told seen you him at no. all. Mate, <laughs> Zvihov got extended. Zvihov's actually been okay. Polzer, yeah, I, I think I already said my thoughts about his, his level this year. I mean, people keep telling me he's like the best physiological talent since... Um, Einstein. Yeah, since... In Durain and Co, but um, he got three minutes put into him on a Uni Puerto mountaintop finish by Romanian university students six weeks ago. So, not looking great for him so far. But anyway, maybe lose a lot in the bunch. Um, <laughs> otherwise, Jay Vine, if he's okay again tomorrow, and uh, the hopefully wait, made a Pudun show. I'd wait to be uh, to go for 17 or 18 for Vine because after this crash, I don't know if it's okay to go day after it already. And I've got a feeling that somehow it feels like he's better off on the type of stage where you have like that one crazy final climb like a Lagos Covadonga or a Gamonitero. But the problem is then, will they have the leeway of the break around a stage like that? But that's for the future, you know? So perhaps you're right. Fine might be in the break. It would be awesome. But I don't know. Kron or uh, Caruso are my picks. Yoni Zagira as well. Watch out for that man yeah. on a finish like this. It's yes. really, really good on a finish like this. But that's our recap for stage 13, 14 of the Vuelta España. We've got the rest day after tomorrow, I think. My math serves me correctly. And, uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. If you like the, the podcast, make sure to like it down below. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a review on podcast players. And we're out. See you tomorrow. Ciao.